Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to episode number 44 of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. As always, I'm joined with by my co-pilot, Mr. Sam Bagherzadeh. Sam, how you doing there? I'm doing okay. Um, I think that w- w- given the circumstance of the end of the season, um, last game of the season against a Newcastle team that is not very strong and the performance we put out, I, I would be a lot more depressed, but I, we still have F- an FA Cup final to look forward to. Uh, although, if you're looking at the way we performed against Newcastle, I don't think that there's anything to really look forward to. This is this is peak pessimism for you, Sam. Yeah, I mean, this this uh, I think this is something that's been overstated by most Chelsea fans, but. This just has reminiscence of our 2015-16 season, uh, and I, I, I honestly can't, I can't tell you which season hurt more. I mean, that season we ended up in tenth place, and this year we ended up in fifth, which obviously fifth is better. But uh, I don't know. This year was just a complete roller coaster, and I think you know the 2015-16 season kind of, in, in I think in a lot of football fans' eyes. Given that it was the city, that was the Leicester City year, uh, everyone kind of write, writes that off as a fluke season. And I mean, I would I would write that off as a kind of a fluke season as well. But uh, I mean, this year was just it was rough, man. But I mean, we're on episode forty four right now. We made it through somehow. Even you know, <laughs> somehow, I'm surprised, I'm surprised we made it through. Not not saying that you know because of the, the support that we've gotten because we've gotten such amazing support i'm just saying i don't know how we we mentally and emotionally made it all the way through being able to talk about just every awful performance every week i mean with, with the very very faint faint bright spots within the you know within along the way but for the, i think a majority of the time it was all it was pretty negative <laughs> I think uh, I think I'm just gonna scrap the question I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you what's been more shit, Chelsea season or this podcast? <laughs> Definitely our podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Chelsea season. Nothing. Nothing was more shit than the way Chelsea was this season. Um, and we've we've done a great job, Zach. We we made it through 44 episodes. Um, yeah. And I think that um, the thing that people really like to hear us talk about is you know our feelings towards this team and you know they they can they can listen along and just be like oh god someone can i can agree with like you know just i feel i think that we have the same feelings as most chelsea fans yeah i mean uh even though we're two pretty ignorant chelsea fans from los angeles i think yeah i I think people could relate to us in that sense right i mean because here's the thing is at least on my end like i i know i kind of consider myself like extremely diehard and a lot of times irrational and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of chelsea fans are getting used to this feeling of being irrational um because of how shit we've been yeah and how 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 shocking this season has been so i i think when you have shocking results it it brings out um the irrational nature of a lot of Chelsea fans. And that's where I've been this season. I've been so irrational, but at the same time, looking back on every single point I made on almost every single podcast, I wouldn't change a thing. 
And I really think, to be completely honest, just like the the prevalence of Twitter nowadays has made it even tougher to be a Chelsea fan or even tougher to be a rational Chelsea fan because you have the ability to react instantly and you don't have any time to think about, you know, what happened and to collect your thoughts. But we have the luxury of being able to do that with a podcast. So, you know, yeah, we do. We get, we get to sit down and think about what we want to say. And, you know, we it's not the immediate emotional reaction. It's kind of it's a little bit more thought out. But I mean, so, so I think that my emotions of- are still strong after this Newcastle match. It's hard to put that aside. I mean, you said it's nice to say what you're thinking right so what do you think about this whole newcastle nonsense let's just uh, dive right into it uh, because I, I i really want to get get through this part it was just a it was just the most i i, I you know how last week i compared i i talked about how the raptors they ended their in the nba they ended their season just getting blown out didn't put up a fight and it was the most humiliating thing ever yeah that, and you know, they did that against LeBron James. So that's, you know, that's not that bad. But we we did this against a very poor Newcastle team. I mean, not very poor, but just very average Newcastle team where I went into it thinking, all right, this is our last match. I have a feeling that these guys want it. Um, obviously, that, that was not the case. The players did not want it um, just throughout this, the very lethargic, just, losing 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 balls and I, I i i was i was so disappointed man i was it was probably one of the most humiliating ways to end of the season yeah I, I, here, here's where i this is where i go uh go a little crazy there is absolutely no reason why we can't go to st james's park on the last day of the season and pull some sort of result out of our ass or even like even even putting minimal effort into the match for me Eden Hazard he looked like he was already on vacation Bakioko didn't look good Ngolo Kanté did his thing um it, our back 3 was horrifying i just what i don't understand is these guys are still playing for cup places mm-hmm. they're still trying to get into the first team for the FA Cup so that's more than enough of, of a reason to go out swinging, right? And, and to put forth maximum effort. And yeah, you'd think we we didn't see that. And part of that falls on the players, but Antonio Conte has to take some of the blame, if not most of the blame. I mean, your job as a manager is to motivate your players, and if you can't even get them up for a match against Newcastle on the last day of the season as a warm up match for the for a cup final. Against, especially against Jose Mourinho's Man United, there's there's just really no excuse for it, and and it's gotten to the point where I don't really sit here and mope and whine and complain. I've come to accept the fact that Antonio Conte just doesn't want to be there, and I've and I've come to accept the fact that he's gonna do he's just gonna go through the motions, and he's not really gonna try. And I think we saw that against Huddersfield. We rested players with two games left in our season. Yeah, and then we and then we come to Newcastle, and he finally picks a strong side. And these guys weren't motivated; they weren't even up for it. So, what is that telling Chelsea fans? It could it could be a couple things. It could be he's not 
putting in work in a training ground anymore. He's not committed to his players. He doesn't really care about results. And he already knows what his future has ahead of him. But it just baffles me that there's still a major trophy to fight for. And it just seems like there's no fire and no passion. Here's where it gets really confusing now. Okay, now, now, now my argument's starting to come full circle because I'm kind of rambling. But if you told Chelsea fans, let's say before the season started, we're not going to fight for the league, we're not going to make Champions League, but we will finish with an FA Cup in fifth place, would you be happy? No, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess so. I mean, I would be somewhat satisfied. Yeah, maybe we didn't hit top four, but based on who we bought over the summer and who we shipped out over the summer, I I didn't for a second think we were going to compete for a title. I really didn't. I mean, I, I, I knew we were going to struggle at some point in the season. I just didn't know that our struggle was going to last the whole of 2018. Yeah, and, and I think the worst part about this match was I don't even think this was our worst match of the season. I mean, this wasn't this like the result. I mean, it, it might have been the worst performance as far as uh, just the way that the players played. Um, and and you cannot put all the blame on Antonio Conte. Yes, he is responsible for making you know improving player morale and whatnot. But um, I think it, the blame goes all around. Um, you know, if you're a player, you got to have a little bit of pride. And to finish yeah. off finish off the season with this kind of performance, and to you know, after you know after the full ninety, these these fans have endured such a, 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 a difficult a difficult season. You know, paid good money to to go see their team play the last game of the season, and you know, just to run through that tunnel without even acknowledging them. I mean, I mean that would have happened had Hazard not stepped uh, you know in front of them and. And you know, told them to to go back, and which is really nice. Um, I, that that that's actually a really good sign. Um, because I, I I you know I don't know if you if you heard, but a couple of players tried to you know run down the tunnel after full yeah. time, but he's, Hazard stepped in front of him, and you know, and you know, ha- followed by a half-hearted applause from the Chelsea uh, from the Chelsea fans, uh, but. It was, it's more uh, it's more of the gesture that counts. I mean, for, for from Hazard's point of view, he loves being here. And he said it time and time again, but it is I just find it so incredibly difficult to comprehend how you could go put a ninety minutes forth you, you could put forth a ninety minutes like that and not applaud or basically show your gratitude for the fans that made one of the longest journeys of the season to go see an away match. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I I meant to correct myself earlier. I said I said it was a home game, but yeah, the the fact that they had to, it, yeah, it's, it's it's a long travel to get there. Yeah, it, it 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 makes no sense to me. I mean, for me, that's that's unprofessional, and and it. I know they don't do this yet overseas, but like in American sports, if something like that were to happen, player fines would be thrown all around. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that there would be suspensions and fines going going every which way, and <laughs> it's just I don't know if it's something that I'm accustomed to because I'm I'm, I'm an American, or um, if the players 
really don't give a shit. If there are some players in the tunnel that know they're going to be out over the summer. Mm-hmm. I I mean, it, I think regardless of, you know, this, this, this team, I think this, this whole season we've been so bipolar, either having amazing matches or completing, completely shitting the bed like we did against Newcastle and mm-hmm. like we did against Bournemouth and we did against Watford and we did against, uh, who else? Crystal Palace. Roma. Roma. We shit the bed against Roma as well in Champions League. So, um, this, this squad, you know, whichever one decides to show up this, this weekend, um, you know, if by the off chance, the slight chance, I mean, the very small chance that we ended up winning, I think it, it, it's, it's irrelevant as far as what we need to do this summer. It, it, there's a complete overhaul required. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the manager. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's out, although his indications point towards him being confident he's staying. But, I mean, obviously he's going to say that. Um, And then, you know, we we need to get more players. And um, The key is I don't think we need a lot of players. I just think we need one, maybe two quality first-team players. Yeah. I think we need a center mid to go. I said it. I said it two weeks ago. Actually, I, we need a midfield partner for Angolo Conte. Now, mm-hmm. whether the answer is Loftus Cheek, whether Danny Drinkwater somehow gets back in, Ross Barkley, or if it's an outside purchase, we need to find a combination that works for Angolo Conte because mm-hmm. that guy is not going to have a long career if he keeps playing the way he's playing. We got to protect him. That's yeah. one. Two, we need another attacker. We need a superstar stud attacker to take some of that pressure off of Eden Hazard. I feel like I mean, this is going into a completely different debate, but I feel like Hazard almost feels the weight of all the responsibility that he carries. And I think that hinders him because I don't think he has a mental fortitude to say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. He's just not that type of player. And, and and that's fine. But it's been way too long. He hasn't gotten better since he joined the club. He really hasn't. I mean, what aspects of his game have developed? We've been saying the same thing for the last four or five years. He needs to score more goals. And we really haven't seen that from him. So I think maybe putting – Another really, really top attacker next to Hazard, whether that's a winger, whether it's whether it's a, a number 10, whether it's another striker, who knows. I just think having that next to Hazard will take some of the pressure off of him and then we'll be able to see the best of him more consistently because he won't be having to basically put the game on his back in the last 10, 15 minutes of a match every week. Um, but, th- but it does tie in with his comments, right? So... I mean, he had, he had some interesting comments earlier this week. He said, um, I'm waiting for new players next season. I want good players because I want to win next season the Premier League. That's why I'm taking my time. It's something big. I need to think about a lot of things. One thing I'm sure is that I'm happy here. So that's that was basically his answer after someone asked him about his contract situation. Now, this isn't anything new. We know Hazard's happy. I mean, he said it time and time again. He says it every single year. Right before the transfer window opens, he's happy here. His family loves it here. He loves London. But this is a plea. This is basically him going out and saying, look at the year we had. 
I need to see some ambition. What do you think? I mean, do you blame him for, for going out and saying that? I don't know. I mean, it, I think that even if he didn't say that, I think that the club and all the fans were would already assume that would to be the truth. I mean, and I, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit on whether Eden has, has uh, improved. Um, I saw this graphic, and uh, it was comparing his uh, per-90 metrics um, with uh, goal scored, key passes, chances created, successful take-ons per, per 90, and uh, successful take-on rate per 90. Mm-hmm. And uh, it compared his season 2012, 13, 2013, 14, 2014, 15, 2016, 17, and 2017, 18. So <laughs> it, it, the graphic did not include that 2015, 16 season for uh, reasons Go that need, yeah, need to be unspoken. But uh, this season was his high in all five of those metrics. So um, uh, this is again per ninety. Um, so uh, he, I think he has improved his play, especially his take ons. Um, but uh, just going going back to his comments, um, I can't I can't blame him for making these decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's 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 you know, we we as Chelsea fans. We expect players to, you know, who wear who wear the blue to be representing the blue throughout their life, and um, Eden Hazard has been doing that ever since his 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 transfer over here from Lille, and um, he's done it, you know, better than most players have, and you know, get the, the besides the obvious grades, um, but at the end, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's a person, and he has to make the decision that's also best for him. Um, he can't put aside his personal uh, desires for the desires of this club that, frankly, has not been putting in the work recently to uh, fill in the roles that are missing and, you know, trying to complement his play style. Um, he he needs to, I mean, I, I give him all the time in the world to make his decision um, obviously, with the World Cup coming, I'm sure he's his mind is going to be precluded with that. Um, but uh, it, I, we, as I mentioned last week, he he's you know not getting any younger. He is his prime. Uh, he probably is going to be in his prime for you know I'd say five to three to five more years until he starts uh, digressing a little bit. But um, you know he he cannot waste the, that time playing for a club like the one that we saw this season, um, you know, wasting another year of Champions League ineligibility. Um, although I'm, I'm looking forward to those Thursday nights, um, Thursday night matches. It's going to be great. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't have any doubt in my mind that Eden Hazard was happy with his tenure at Chelsea. I think he enjoyed his time here. Um, I mean, I'm saying that as if he's already gone, but um I don't. I think that he has every right to look elsewhere, but I do think that he still has a spot in, in his heart for Chelsea. And I can't say that for you know a lot of players who who you know have played for their club for a while. You know any club, not just Chelsea, but you know they, think- they they want to win, and I think that a lot of them don't make the decision that makes them put in the best best opportunity to win. And, you know, Eden Hazard being one of the, you know, world-class player, one of the top players in the world, I don't know why he would be any different. You know, 
It's a it's an interesting one because you look at Azard, he's he's 27 years old. Now he's not going to be playing Champions League. That means the next time he'll be eligible for Champions League, he'll be 27, almost 28. Yeah. From his perspective, I mean, you're one of the top footballers in the world on your day. Now is the time to move. I mean, yeah. as a Chelsea fan, it pain, it it pains me to say it, but I mean, if you're looking to go to a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich, uh, PSG, any of those big clubs, I mean, now's now's the time to go. Look, your team's not in a Champions League. There's managerial merry-go-round. Yes, your family might be happy in London, but you might even be able to somehow scrub out a bigger payday somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you move? Yeah, and and, like, and, and this, this is this is part of the reason why I love him because he just seems to me like he's not the type of person that would leave a club high and dry. I think he has a lot of he has a lot of sentiment for Chelsea Football Club, and I fe- I feel like he feels he feels the same he feels the same pain and the same um, desire that the fans do. Yeah, and, and I think it's reciprocated. I mean, I don't think there's one person um, who's a Chelsea fan that doesn't like Ian Nazard. I and really I, don't. And I think that if you were to look at this situation as a completely unbiased bystander. Not you know taking taking aside you know taking out the the fact that we're Chelsea fans and we want him to stay, I think that you would think that it's a no brainer. Like Eden Hazard should get get the hell out of here as soon as possible. I mean, if Real Madrid is is dying to get you, I mean, <laughs> you, you should get get on the quickest flight to Madrid and get out of here. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But you know, there's always there's that factor of him loving the team and loving the city is, you know, you have to take that into consideration as well. And, um, you know, I, I, if, if, if this Saturday, if this Saturday is the last time we see Eden Hazard in a Chelsea Jersey, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I would be very disappointed. Um, but I wouldn't be upset. You know, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't be upset with it. There wouldn't be any hard feelings whatsoever. Yeah. None because it's, it's unless he goes to Man United. (laughs) Which won't happen. That's not happening. Yeah, did you see that? Did you see that video of him? The, yeah, he did. Yeah, he, it was did great. His, he did an Instagram live, and someone he was getting a haircut uh, on Instagram live, and someone commented, "Come to Man U," and he just started laughing, and he was like, "Never." <laughs> yeah, no way. That's the thing. He's loyal, so I feel I feel confident that we'll keep him over the summer. Um, but if he leaves again, like just like you said, no hard feelings. I mean, Bayern Munich is in need of wingers. Real Madrid's in need of wingers. Mm-hmm. Any basically, when you have a guy with that kind of talent, any team could make room for him. So let's hope he stays. I mean, I I, I do want to move this along a little bit. I want to talk about um, Antonio Conte's comments after the Newcastle match. So. He said, quote, we deserve to lose because our start wasn't good and we suffered by losing every ball. To finish the season this way is not good for anyone connected to the club. So no shit, Sherlock, right? <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't buy this bullshit. Yes, we deserve to lose and yes, it's terrible for everyone at the club. But to say that our start wasn't good and we suffered by losing every ball – is taking absolutely zero responsibility for what happened. To me, the way I portrayed it is that he was going after the players. Oh, they weren't mentally right for this game. Well, whose fucking fault is that? Yeah, it's his job. Who put the players on the pitch? We have – our squad might not be the greatest, but we have 
the right players to beat Newcastle, even if we mix it up. So if you don't see any of those guys hungry and passionate and willing to win, why did you select them in the first place? You really don't think Callum select? Do you really not think Callum Hudson Odoi wants to wants to get his first goal wants to get his first goal for the senior side? Yeah, yeah. Do you really not think, you know, uh, Danny Drinkwater wants to get out on the pitch? No, he's still de- dehydrated. He can't. Or play. he's still or he's still dehydrated. Whatever it might be. <laughs> but here's the thing: there are other players at the club that are hungry, and if the players he's been selecting since the new year haven't showed that hunger. Why the fuck do you keep on picking those players? It makes no sense to me. So from my perspective, Conte tossed the Huddersfield match strictly by his squad rotation, right? He needed the rest players for two matches, right? Nobody's been motivated since fucking January. Mm-hmm. Not start again, not starting a match off well and losing every ball comes down to effort and motivation. This is all on the manager. I don't see how else someone could point the blame elsewhere. I don't see how you could blame the players, to be completely honest, especially when your manager takes a swipe at how crap the squad is or how crap he thinks the squad is every single time he steps in front of a microphone. I think that's taken a mental toll on the players. I think the fact that he got the squad selection completely wrong for the Huddersfield match, basically tossed our chances of Champions League down the toilet. I think that is a huge reason why the players don't want to play for him. He has no more passion on the sideline. I mean, from a player's perspective, you don't want to play for him right now. Maybe last year you did. Maybe maybe if Conte got his way, because that's, that's a whole other argument. But as of right now, you have to shut your mouth and work with what you got. And right now he's not doing that, and he hasn't been doing it. I think it is. It's it's just too easy to point the blame at Antonio Conte, because that's you know he's he's whenever there's a struggling team, the first blame always goes to the manager. And although I I, I do think that it's warranted in this case because of just the way that he's been talking about his squad, and it, it you know as a player, it it, it really does. Um, impede in your in your motivation to play, but I mean, I I alluded to it in our match discussion, but you know I think that you got to have some pride in playing. I mean, all manager nonsense aside, like you've been you've been a computer your whole life, you've been playing football your whole life, and um, to be to put out a season like this is uh, you know it says a lot about the kind of player you are too. You know, like I, I think that, I think that it, it to an extent you you can you can put a bl- you can put a lot of the blame to Antonio Conte, but I mean these guys are grown men; they're not children. They don't need a they don't need a guy to hold their hand and you know tell them you know they don't need they don't need a, a, a therapist to you know make sure that their emotions are in check. You know they're they they should be able to you know get the will themselves to win. But I mean I, I think that of course it it. it it is to an extent, and I think it's to a large extent, you have to blame Antonio Conte. And I think uh, Antonio Conte actually talked about how the Michael Amanalo's surprise departure this year was a big loss. He, when he was asked about that decision and whether it made his job more difficult, he said, 
yes, uh, to lose Michael is a big loss for us. I think so also because Michael did a great job for this club for many years. Last season, he helped me a lot during the season. This season, until he left, he helped me a lot. For me, for sure, it was a big loss. I I, I want to look it up. You can uh, talk... I want you to talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to look up when Michael Eminalo left because I don't remember exactly the time that he left. But um, what, what do you think about that? It was, I believe it was like late November, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I mean, I but think yeah, that I mean, his, his departure would correlate with the, the time that we really started to struggle. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be a coincidence. I'd be shocked if it didn't. So, I mean... It was November 6th, yeah. November 6th. So the thing with Eminalo is... When he was here, I guess Chelsea fans took him for granted. I mean, he was the main scapegoat of that 15-16 season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was him, Cesc Fabregas, and Eden Hazard. They were the, like the the snakes in the grass. And he was even the one that coined the term palpable discord when mm-hmm. he spoke about uh, um, Jose Mourinho and his relationship with all the players. And <laughs> I mean – we really had no idea what the hell Amanalo did until he left. And Antonio Conte mentioned it in that same press conference. He said something along the lines of, you know, Amanalo was great. Uh, he, he was basically the bridge between the manager and the board. And he was almost the mediator. And I guess he was the one that kept that relationship in, relationship intact. Um, and it's, it, it's it's crazy to think otherwise. I mean, you, you look at his relationship at, at, with the board after November, constantly taking swipes, nobody keeping him in check. He let things get out of control. Antonio Conte, I'm, I'm speaking about. Mm-hmm. When when Michael Amanala was there, we really didn't hear that moping. We really didn't hear that that nonsense. And I think it has a – I don't think it's a coincidence that Antonio Conte has had a run this bad results-wise and performance-wise without getting the sack yet. And I feel like a big reason why he hasn't is because Emanalo's not there. Emanalo seemed like the only footballing person in that board. Yeah, he is. Marina – everybody says Marina is the one in charge of the footballing operations now. I don't think she has a footballing bone in her body. I think it was all on Emanalo. And I think the fact that when he resigned, he got hired a few weeks later by Monaco. Not a small club. And I think think it's going to be really interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on uh, the moves that Monaco makes the next couple of years and to, to see. I mean... If 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 Monaco can become a great great squad again in the next couple of years, I think that it'll just kind of uh, explain. Uh, I mean, it'll it'll kind of give weight into the argument that Emanala was responsible for a lot of our success. I um, mean, they were they are they are a selling club, but I I, I get your point. Like they yeah. they're gonna. The point is that they're going to bring in great young talent and they're going to flip them for a ridiculous profit because that's how clubs like Monaco stay afloat. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to see Emanalo continue that same trend that they've had for God knows how long. And in the meantime, we're going to sit here like the fucking Titanic sinking to our death <laughs> with four board members that have no fucking clue how to run a football club but have every fucking clue on how to make money. And I think that's exactly the problem. I just don't think we have enough footballing minds 
we don't have enough footballing minds in and around the club. Yes, we do have it with the youth. But what about the first team? Antonio Conte and his staff are really the only footballing minds there. Emanalo was that bridge. And the fact that we lost him and didn't find a replacement yet is worrying for me. Because I don't know how all this... I don't know how we could hire a manager. I don't know how we could make major signings, in, especially in a World Cup year, and turn our results around so next year we come back ready to fight for a title or Champions League without a technical director. We need a footballing mind in there. Yeah, because we really Mar- do. Marina is definitely she's a business mind. She's a businesswoman. Um, I mean, Roman, you know, met her through his oil company. I mean, he she used to work for him there. So I mean. You think? Oh yeah, oil, football, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, though, I, I don't know what connection you can see between the two. Uh, the two besides things. Man City and <laughs> yeah, those go hand in hand for sure, oil and football. But yeah. um, it's it's a completely different business. I mean, if if you had her in charge of you know uh, sponsorship deals and contracts, I mean, she she was in charge of uh, you know brokering that deal with Nike, and you know she, if you have her doing that stuff like solely um i get that but giving her football decisions which i mean we still aren't even completely sure what she does um and i i mean it's assumed that since emanola's departure that she's taken over that role um but i think that is just bad bad news given the i mean the moves that I mean, just just given the fact that you can't really you can't really put someone who doesn't know anything about soccer in a position to make football decisions, you know? Yeah, and you know, uh, Neil Bath's name has been thrown around a lot, and uh, he basically oversees the club's academy. Yeah. Why hasn't this guy been promoted to that position yet? Who knows Chelsea better than the guy who's running the youth academy? Yeah, I mean we. We really don't know um, what's going to happen with him. I mean, I think he does have a, a chance to be promoted. Um, but, you know, I think that it, scouting uh, – I say this in a, in a really weird way, but scouting children is kind of a completely different ball game than, um, you know, building a squad. But um, I, I, com- I, I completely agree with that, but I'm talking about footballing culture. Yeah. And this guy, this guy doesn't just scout and develop kids. He turns them into professional footballers that could play at a high level. On a different team, right? <laughs> yeah. Most of the time we sell them to a different team. But, I mean, you look you look at Ryan Bertrand. You look at Nathan Ake, Nathaniel Chaloba, Loftus-Cheek now. Mason Mount is absolutely killing it in Vitesse. I mean, Matt Miazga. You're looking at all these players that we had. at. Well, I mean, maybe not Matt Miazga because he wasn't in our youth system at any point. But, I mean, you're looking at these players that came through the youth system and now are are playing at a high level and playing on in a res, at a respectable level a more than respectable level fuck that more than respectable promote this guy let's mm-hmm. give him a shot let's see what he has he can be that bridge between the manager and the board and there's also another silver lining he could be the bridge between the first team manager and the youth system yeah because we there the point is we need to integrate the youth yeah. We sold off players like Kevin De Bruyne. We sold off players like Romelu Lukaku, and we're look. Look what happened. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne just lifted a Premier League trophy. Even Mo Salah. 
Oh, it's yeah. not a coincidence that, that the two candidates for player of the year were both ex-Chelsea rejects. And I don't care if they were crap when they were with Chelsea. They hardly got a fucking run out. That's my point. Anyways, I want to move on. Yeah, you um, mentioned you mentioned RLC. Um, he was just selected earlier today that uh, on the, to the England World Cup roster, which is amazing news. Incredible. Yeah, this is great news. I mean, obviously, I, I think that he deserves a spot. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I I think it's well deserved. His season has been rocky in terms of his health. Um, I I followed him really closely and. I mean, if you look up his goals and assists, yeah, those stats don't necessarily pop out of the screen. But Newcastle, Crystal Palace fans in general, I mean, they just kind of know that Wilfried Zaha and Loftus-Cheek are two players that are just too good to be true, Um, especially for a club that size. I mean, I've watched Loftus-Cheek a few times this season, and he is just a man amongst boys, to be completely honest. And it's it's nothing new. I mean, we all knew that he was this dynamic midfield powerhouse, but we never really saw him deployed in the same position consistently. I mean, under Mourinho, we saw him playing the number 10 a lot. Um, under Antonio Conte, um, we, we, we saw him play striker, which was which I thought was odd. Mm-hmm. Even Gus Hiddink played him as a number 10. I mean, there was never really like that position. We didn't know if he was a six, but we also didn't know if he was a number 10. But nobody has tried to play him as an eight. And that's something that he's been playing at Newcastle. I know he's been playing off to the left or the right every now and then. But when he plays centrally as that marauding box-to-box midfielder with the license to go forward, he's an absolute beast. And I just think, you know, Southgate picking him for the World Cup squad is great because, one, Southgate's already familiar with him. He coached him for the for the England, for the England U21s. Um. So Southgate already knows what Loftus-Cheek can add. This is why I kind of have this hunch that Loftus-Cheek isn't going to be playing necessarily a bit part role. I think he's going to be used as an impact sub in some cases, um, mainly because Southgate is just so familiar with the way he plays. Yeah, and, you know, I I really don't know what to trust, but I've seen a bunch of different sources and – I hadn't even thought, like, heard anything about this before. I just randomly looked it up today. But, uh, th- again, don't, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But apparently uh, our transfers with uh, Chaloba, with uh, Ake, and with um, Traore, they all contain buyback clauses, um, which would be great. But Re- I'm reported not... Reported by who? Uh, I, I, I saw, I've read it on ESPN. I've read it on... Oh wow! Yeah, this is on ESPN. I'm reading right now, but um, again, I, I, I mean, there's been nothing officially reported, and I think that you know, given that it's been, you know, like it's been what, eight, it's been eight months, I think, so since since those moves, and nothing's came up. I don't know how valid those claims are, but um, that would be great if we can get a couple of those guys back. Um, especially I, Nathan Ake after his season this year and, you know, well, you, player of the year at Bournemouth. I always had a soft spot for Nathan Ake, but, I mean, for me personally, I don't know if I'd necessarily bring him back. I mean, like, yeah, like, do we need um, another center back, really? I mean, maybe we do, but... <laughs> no, no, but, but, I th- but I think if Drinkwater is going to take his marching orders this summer and 
you know, Ross Barkley, we're not really sure about his fitness. I think Chaloba is definitely in the mix to get back into the side. But then again, he also has to compete with guys like Mason Mount, who just had a ridiculous year. Yeah. Marco Van Ginkle and Ruben Loftus Cheek. Awesome. Just, just imagine like a little, like a little diamond four four two with those four playing in the middle. We I mean, should that just, would just go. Be, we should just be, make our our actual squad, the developmental squad. <laughs> right. And and I feel like we do well. Um, Better than but yeah, year, I mean, probably. you mentioned Loftus Cheek. I also want to mention. Gary Cahill made the World Cup squad. Very so nice. all the Cahill haters, you know, where are you at, basically? Um, I, he, he has, he's had a good end to the season, and he, he's been one of the only players who's exemplified fight and desire. So it's very well-deserved. Obviously, we wish him the best. We're going to be following him extremely closely. I guess uh, this means I'm going to be an England supporter because uh, – they're gonna have the most Chelsea players on their squad, so uh, well, um, I think Spain, that's a big thing. Spain probably has the most. Oh, Pedro, Morata, and Fabregas, and Marcus Alonso. Oh, really? I don't know if Alonso got picked. I think he did, but Morata um, did not get picked. You said no. He didn't get picked. Morata did not get picked. Are you serious? I can't, that is. Oh this isn't God. a shock. He he's been playing man, like is crap a sh- this year. That, yeah. Man, that transfer is going to look worse and worse every single year. But I mean, yep. you know, our, our, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Chelsea ladies um, winning the FA uh, WSL champ. Their FA WSL champions. You know, pairing that with the FA Cup. Um, so for the domestic double, great job, ladies. Uh, you're making yeah. you're making it- Chelsea proud while the boys are. Uh, just sucking yeah. in the meantime. So we, yep. we got a couple Twitter questions and I, I love how we're implementing this now. Um, but from at B Javier, he asked uh, your reasons and replacement for Tebow to stay or leave this summer. A very uh, confusingly word question, but I think what he's asking is, uh, is, is, is Tebow going to stay or leave the summer? And what, what, what would you replace him with and why? Um, you guys know my feelings on Tebow. Um, I don't want anything to do with a player that doesn't want to be at Chelsea. I would rather take a player who's half the goalkeeper Courtois is, who has a desire to be at Chelsea, than taking a Courtois that's and get nutmegged by Leo Messi two times in a Champions League knockout game. So um, I, that's my feelings. I say let's sell him high. Fuck it. Sell him to whoever, wherever he wants to go. Let him get it. Um, there's a lot of quality goalkeepers out there that could be solid replacements. Jack Butland is going to be on the move for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that Stoke got relegated, he's way too good of a footballer to oh, be yeah. in uh, the, the English championship. I mean, you got guys like Jan Oblak who, who really impressed in, in the uh, league Atletico. He's probably, he's probably one of the best keepers in the world at the moment. And another one who's one of the best keepers in the world as well is Allison from Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these yeah. are all, there's options out there and this is the reason why I'm not too worried, um, about Courtois leaving and why, frankly, I don't really give a shit about Courtois anymore. Um, because he's have, he has a crappy attitude and he's, he's never been, uh, Chelsea through and through from day one. I just never got that. I just never got that, uh, that sense from him. You, so yeah. Do I mean, you think I, Atletico would be willing to do a like for like swap? See, that's Oblak? the thing. I don't. I don't think Courtois would go back to Atletico. Really? 
I think I think he's off the Madrid or PSG. Okay, yeah, yeah. I really do. I think and I think and to be completely honest, I think that you know out of those two teams, whichever one doesn't get Tebow, um, will probably go after O Block and give him as much money as they want. Uh, but I mean, it would be nice. It would be yeah, really great yeah, for exactly. us to get him. But I think that yeah, I mean, the other seen, two options are more I've seen, realistic. I've seen O Block's name and I've seen Allison's name linked with almost every major club in Europe so yeah. far. So I mean, those are two goalies gonna gonna be following closely, especially especially Jack Blind. I mean, I think that's a good shout. He's a quality goalkeeper, and he's been one of the probably the only bright spot for Stoke this whole entire season, besides Kurt Zuma. But that's just mm-hmm. me being biased. But yeah. then again. Kurzuma did have a decent season. Yeah, and uh, let's let's get to our next question. Uh, our super fan Chelsea Eric uh, with a great question. Um, let's end this season on a positive note. What's your favorite game of the season? Um, Chelsea Eric says that his uh, for him it was the first game against the Spurs and also the winner against Atletico. Um, he had so much hope that things were going to work out. LOL. <laughs> LOL is right, my friend. Um, but I think Atletico, that Atletico game has to be my favorite. Um, I actually, I watched that game in uh, in class. <laughs> and uh, I was like, uh, the person sitting next to me is like not even a soccer fan at all. And he's like one of my buddies. And I, and I, I point to him, I'm like, look, this, this is our last chance. If we score here, we win it. And and I was and I texted you and I said, if uh, if Mishi scores a game winner, I will literally run around my school naked. <laughs> and he ended up scoring the game winner. And I was in class like, <laughs> like just trying my best not to let out a, a yell. And I just wanted to go outside and scream and you know go crazy and. Uh, just to confirm, I actually did not uh, run that naked lap around my school because I didn't. I didn't think I would last long after that. Uh, I, I do value my education, so. Uh, but that that was the bright moment of my of of this Chelsea season, even though there weren't very many bright ones. What about you, Zach? I was uh I was at a wine and food festival out in uh, Newport Beach. The weekend we played Tottenham at Wembley and I was sitting there with my girlfriend and her parents and I was being extremely rude. I wasn't listening to anything anyone was saying at the table. I was, I had my eyes fixated on the game. There was a TV right behind my girlfriend's dad that, uh, that had the match on. So, um, Marcus Alonso scored the winner and I got up quietly, just extremely calm. I got up, (laughs) I walked right outside to where the valet was. I waited till the sliding doors closed again, and I just let one rip, man. So you and did what I, I wanted to do. Uh, while I, I was screamed in class. so loud, and I looked to my right, and the valet person actually has a walkie-talkie in her hand, and she's like, "Are you okay? Should I call security?" And I was like, "No, trust me, I'm just fine." But yeah, I mean, look, that game was like. That game gave me hope, and I think that game is responsible for the reason why I'm so depressed right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, good times, short-lived, but good times indeed. Um, but yeah, I, I, going back to the just idea of this segment, I really like it. I think we're going to keep it. So if fans, if you're listening and you guys have any questions, anything you want us to address at all in the podcast, just tweet at us any question. Um, we'll give you a quick shout-out. 
Um, we'll read your question. We'll answer it. It's always it, it's always fun to see uh, what you guys are interested in hearing. So, I mean, let's move on. We're, we are running a little low on time. So, mm-hmm. Chelsea, Man United, Saturday at Wembley, FA Cup final, Conte versus Jose. How do you feel heading into the match? <laughs> like, we don't stand a chance. <laughs> I mean, it's it this Man United side, uh, I mean, I mean, Sorry, t- taking aside this Man United side and you know how how good they've been this season, which you know they have been on and off, but I think you can put any team against us in this FA Cup match, and we would I I would not feel good going into it. Um, you know, like I go if when you're when like it's, it's just it's weird. Like last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about how we were in such great form and. You know, we were winning every match and, uh, you know, feeling really good. Yeah, yeah, we were we were feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, um, these just this loss and then last week, the draw just completely deflated. Uh, just our, our the, the not just the team's morale, but also the fan base's morale. Um, I I do not feel good going into this match and I am not expecting any sort of positive result. But um, of course, I'm gonna be cheering for my for my boys. Um, I was thinking I would think that you know to try to end this season with some silverware, kind of salvage the season a little bit, uh, finish the season with some pride. But obviously, um, our players are not concerned with pride because uh, of the way that we played last week. So um, you know that that's that was the only thing that I thought would give us a chance, but. You know, as far as talent, um, and as far as managers, uh, managerial decisions, as far as just form, everything, desire. We are, yeah, we are about desire. We are subpar. We are not. Yeah, we, we we don't compare. I agree. I mean, we were in the FA Cup final last year, and I was a lot more optimistic, and I was also looking forward to it. And I could honestly say that I am not looking forward to this year's not at all FA Cup. Um. I'm just, I just know that something terrible is going to happen and uh, it's going to be completely embarrassing. And I'm just glad that my brother, who's a Man United fan, is not going to be in town that weekend. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so I don't have to listen to his bullshit all match uh. long about how Jose is the greatest. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, there are a couple things that we could do to get a result out of this game. Um, so let's just go over them really quick, Sam, because if we do get a result, I promise you we will be looking back and we'll be talking about maybe not all of them, but some of these things. So uh, the first things first, we got to cut off their supply line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Pugba just seems to be the metronome that keeps that team ticking offensively, um, and, and he also uh, possesses that long ball ability to uh, let Lukaku and the wingers leak out and uh, create space. So um, if we could nullify that, if we could get on top of Paul Pogba, and that means playing a three-man midfield, Antonio, um, then then I think we have a chance against Man United. What what do you think we need to do? Well, obviously we need to we need to score because um, you know the our experience with you know having Mourinho as a manager, we know that he's going to have his team well drilled and incredibly disciplined defensively. Um, you know, our problem this season has been, you know, not creating chances to score, but finishing. 
And in this match, our, our, our chances are going to be even more limited. So we're not going to have that luxury of having a lot of chances. And, uh, you know, going, if we're going off of historical facts, um, less chances plus our um, very low conversion rate, uh, it it's doesn't look too good. But um, I think that if, if, if our team could be clinical for once, uh, we can, we, 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 I mean, that's, that's crucial. We need to be clinical. And yeah, we, we say that every week, but um, it's, it's a fact. So what do you think is your prediction? What are you feeling inside? I feel nothing inside, Zach. I feel absolutely, I feel nothing inside. Um, I am empty. I am broken. I, uh, I don't know what else to say. Um, I, I think that the best course of action as far as, um, my own, uh, sanity and happiness is to expect absolutely nothing from this match. And if something happens, I will be pleasantly surprised. And if uh, nothing happens, as I expect, I won't have my hopes crushed. Um, so I am, I'm, I'm going to be predicting a loss, Zach. Um, that's, that's good emotional management. Son. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to hedge my emotions. Yeah, that th- that that's great management. Um, I'm gonna go. Unlike Conte, yeah, he should take some notes on how to manage. I'm gonna be optimistic here. I think Gary Cahill is gonna score off a corner kick <sighs> to win Chelsea the FA Cup in his final nice. match in a Chelsea shirt. I'm just making a call. Final match as a Chelsea in his Chelsea shirt. What? I I think I think he might be on his way out this summer. I think he's. This, cer- I think that is a discussion we need to have next episode because yes, we don't have enough time I to get into it. Definitely think it is, but fuck so it. So tune in, yeah. I want I want a Gary Cahill winner so I could rub it in everyone's fucking faces because he's a quality footballer oh, and he's our captain. What about a Mishi Batshuayi finish? Oh wait. Oh wait. Oh yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Um. Anyways. That's end of episode number 44. Thank you all for listening again. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can email us questions as well, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Look for us on SoundCloud. Look for us on iTunes. Any third-party app for Android or for tablets, we're there. You could find us. Uh, make sure you look for us. And again, thank you so much for listening, and keep the blue flag flying high.